Good morning, Veritas. I'm Mark Arendt, one of the pastors here. And uh, if it's your first time or if you're new here, we want to welcome you. We know there are a lot of uh, new people coming into town with classes starting, and it's exciting. I got my annual Salt Company uniform uh, that I wear on this Sunday uh, most years. Um, and so here it is. Salt Company's kicking off this week, and we're excited about that. A lot of cool things happening. One of the things about this morning before we open the word together is uh, in, in uh, the seat in front of you, in the little pocket in front of you, there's a little card, and it just says Veritas Church Serve. And this is a Sunday where we are trying to mobilize volunteers, trying to um, get volunteers, especially for Veritas Kids, as Christy and the Veritas Kids team put together the schedules. Um, every single week, it takes 75 to 100 volunteers um, to serve in all the services. Um, we want to encourage you. The, the bar is actually pretty low for signing up. Like you're thinking, I don't know if I can do that commitment. I mean, it's, here's the commitment. Like you can sign up for once a month, which means probably in this three to four times between now and December, three to four times for the whole semester. And I know some of us, this is the generation of that's, that's crippled by FOMO. It's like, yeah, but what if I have to, I, I, what if I can't be there that Sunday? Well, just sign up and they even have a way that you can get subs and they work as a team. It's awesome. So, so jump in and serve with our kids. You don't have to um, be like a main teacher. They're not going to put you up in front, in front of a bunch of kids and have to teach a Bible lesson. Some of you are like, I, I don't, not that confident in the Bible. You don't, you just show up and support the teachers and help kind of, you know, uh, hang out with the kids. Um, we'd encourage college students for sure. You guys are always our rock stars that sign up in droves. We love our college students, but also um, there's Sundays where they're gone for Thanksgiving break or whatever, um, and retreats maybe. And so, but we really want to um, encourage families to get involved. And uh, again, jump in, serve wherever you are, um, fight your fear of commitment, okay? And uh, especially dads, there's a ton of boys that, that uh, God has brought into the Veritas family. And so we would love for dads to jump in. Um, I've uh, volunteered a little bit this summer, and it is so, it's such a blast getting to know these kids and families. So um, jump in, grab the card, check the box that says Veritas Kids, and they will uh, help you get connected to that. Okay, don't just assume somebody else in this room will do this. Uh, we, we want everyone to, to jump in and, and join the, the team of volunteers. All right. So this morning, um, it's, we just finished our study through the book of 2 Timothy. And we're about to, in, a, in like four weeks, we're going to open the book of Hebrews. And these, this few weeks in between, we're doing this uh, little series called Who Are We? Who We Are as a church. And here it is. Um, welcome to Veritas. This idea of, it's a time of introductions as the school year starts, lots of people moving to town, students coming, the whole kind of um, transient nature of our, of our city and of our, our area. And so we want to introduce ourselves. It's a time of small talk. People are like, oh, where are you living? What are you doing? Where are you working? What are you studying? And we go through those questions. Well, we just want to introduce you to Veritas. And if you've been coming to a Veritas for a long time, this is a great time to remember who we are as a church, to be reminded of what we are about 
as a church. And so I'm really excited for the next few weeks. A lot of exciting things happening in the life of Veritas, as you know. But this morning, I want to talk to you about the most exciting thing. Of all the exciting things happening, this is the best of all the things. And it gives you a window into who we are. And to do that, I want to open to Luke chapter 10. For some of you that have been around for a while, this is going to be a really familiar passage. We've made t-shirts about this. We love this passage. It's Luke chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. He told them, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now go. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Jesus is saying, there is a massive harvest field in front of you, disciples. He's got 72 followers that are with him. And he's about to send them out on a mission trip. He's like, guys, it's like there's 100,000 acres of corn that is ready to be picked, and there's just a couple of you. We need more workers, so you're going to have to ask God to raise up more workers as you go out into the harvest field. Go praying to the Lord of the harvest. And he says, I'm going to send you out as lambs among wolves. He's saying, you know, you're going to face some hostility, some pushback, to the, but this message is unstoppable. He goes on to give them some instructions about pack light, don't be afraid. He says, this message, the kingdom of God is near that message is unstoppable, and he gives them authority over demons, and he says, go out and start preaching. Now, at this point, you think you know where this sermon is going, right? We are a family on mission, make disciples, plant churches, set your alarms for 10.02, right? Is that where we're going? That is not where we're going this morning, because look at what happens in this text. So he gives them some instructions. He sends them out. Now we're going to fast forward to verse 17. When they come back from their mission trip, Luke 10, 17, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Just, just stop and think about this verse for a second. They come back and they are so pumped because everything Jesus said about them getting authority over demons happened. Like casting out demons, performing miracles, signs and wonders. People are getting saved. People are getting healed. Could you imagine if that happened to you this morning? I mean, you would have walked into church like telling everyone, you will never, this is insane. They were excited. They were filled with joy as, as we could expect them to. But look at what Jesus says in verse 18. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, 
I have given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing at all will harm you. That's a weird thing for Jesus to say to them, right? Here's what I think Jesus is getting at. He's saying, guys, I get it. Seeing God exert his power over the forces of evil is amazing. In fact, I was there when Satan was kicked out of heaven. There's this whole battle happening in our world right now, right? Our struggle is not against uh, political leaders and political parties and factions. We know what the struggle is, right? Our enemy is not, you know, the Taliban or these people in our country who want to do this or that. That's not our struggle. That's not our fight. Our fight again is against, not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, and powers and spiritual forces of this dark world, Paul tells us in Ephesians 6.12, that our struggle is against Satan and the demons, right? This whole battle that's happening. And Jesus is saying, hey, fellas, yes, you've gotten some power. I get it. I have authority over all that. The battle belongs to the Lord. That is true. But here's what I think Jesus is saying. But don't let that make you proud. Don't start puffing up your chest. Don't get proud. But also don't fear. Because I have authority over their boss, Satan. I was there. But most of all, so don't be proud, don't fear, but most of all, don't forget there is something far better than your success in ministry. Because of what he says in verse 20, he says, however, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. How could Jesus possibly say, don't rejoice over that? I mean, I imagine us coming to Jesus and be like, Jesus, we get to heaven. And we're talking about all the things that happened in Veritas Church, all the things that we've seen over this past 11 years, and people have gotten saved, people have gotten baptized, people have gotten healed, people have gotten whole, all these amazing, miraculous things that have happened, and Jesus looks at us and says, oh, don't rejoice over that. I mean, that's what Jesus is saying to the disciples. How could he say, don't rejoice over that? The message translation says it this way, verse 20, it says, all the same, the great triumph is not in your authority over evil, but in God's authority over you and presence with you. Listen, not what you do for God, but what God does for you. That's the agenda for rejoicing. Jesus knows that the book of Acts is coming through the apostles. Like this revival has just gotten started. This 
gospel movement that's going to transform not just people and cities, but nations and entire civilizations, and all of history is going to be oriented around the calendar of after Christ, before Christ, and after Christ, right? This is like the climax of history. Jesus sees all of this that's coming, but he's saying there's far, something far better than healings and resurrections and baptisms and stadiums and auditoriums filled with worshipers. Far greater than ministry success and all the things you will do for God, it is that your name is written in heaven. What Jesus is saying Your salvation is the miracle that you should be rejoicing in. If you are a Christian, your own salvation is the greatest of all the miracles. The fact that your name, Jesus says, is written in heaven. In Revelation 21, 27, it says only those whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life will enter heaven. There is a book with a bunch of names in it. As I look out on this crowd of people, I don't know whose names are written in heaven. I don't have the roster of heaven. I don't know who the saved people are and who the unsaved people are and all that stuff, but God does. And Jesus wants the disciples to be, to never lose sight of the miracle of their own salvation. Now, a great question to ask right now is, wait, is my name in that book? And also, how does somebody get their name in that book? I'm going to tell you uh, how you get your name in that book. Romans 10, 9 and 10 is very simple. It just says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. And then in 1013, it says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Veritas, who are we? We are a people who are in awe of the person of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us, that he has died on the cross for our sins. He was crucified on a tree. We celebrate this on Good Friday. He was buried in a grave. He was raised from the dead. And we believe that Jesus Christ is coming back to judge the living and the dead. That he is the final judge. We believe that we will die and we will stand before him and we will see him. 
and we will give an account to him. And he's going to say something like, Mark, why should I let you into this paradise? And I say, you shouldn't for anything that I have done, but only what you have accomplished for me, your righteous life exchanged for my sin and my shame and my failures, right? That cleansing, that forgiveness that comes, we call this the gospel, the good news of God's grace, that it's not about all the things I've done for God, but what he has done for me. And I'm a child of God. We are a people loved by God, a people adopted and freed, and we have an inheritance. And that is what Jesus wants us to never lose sight of. This is subtle, but it's so easy to lose sight of this, isn't it? We even see in the New Testament churches that lost sight of this truth about the gospel. Do you remember the book of Galatians? It's written to the church in Galatia. They were a church who started with the gospel. They were glad that Jesus saved them, but they tried to go on in the Christian life as though it was like, Jesus, thank you for saving me. Now I've got it from here, right? The discipleship process is kind of up to us. And so they lost sight of the gospel, Paul says. They lost their path. The church in Ephesus, in Revelation 3, or Revelation 2, it says that the church in Ephesus, they kept their doctrine. They had all the right beliefs. But Jesus says, but you lost your first love. Some of you in this room, um, and I've seen this over and over, and, and it's a struggle for me too, but when you look back on your life, you may point to a time at a church camp as like the closest you've ever been to Jesus. Or you might point back to a time in college. But many years have passed since that time. And you know, a lot of life happens, doesn't it? All the things that you were optimistic and idealistic about going into college and your mission and what you wanted to do in serving Jesus, and now here you are. Just like the church in Galatia or in Ephesus. And Jesus wants to bring us back to the simple truth that, hey, disciples, Nothing you will ever do for God will ever compare to what he has done for you and what I'm about to do in giving my life for you. Who are we, Veritas? We are a church who is all about Jesus Christ and the good news about Jesus. You know, we can see this in the church of Galatia and Ephesus, but I just take comfort in yeah, but not us though, right? Veritas, we would never do that, right? What they did, we would never lose our first love. I mean, think about how exciting this is and man, this feels like a revival. I just think that's for other people or all the other churches in town who've probably lost their first love. Man, it's a good thing we're here and not out there with all those people, right? 
I've been thinking about this. How could we go down this wrong path of kind of missing the gospel amidst all this excitement? I think one of the dangers for us, Veritas, is that we could confuse our excitement for Jesus on Sundays as actual love and obedience to Jesus. You know, I think about, we're a part of this, you know, I, I, I call this the, uh, the Veritas hype train, you know? It's like the, because I've done this, it's, I've heard people like, dude, you got to check out Veritas. Veritas, oh, it's awesome. Like, you come, you'll love it. And Salt Company, dude, you got to go to Hubbard Park. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be awesome. And we make t-shirts and our swag and stickers and mugs and, and the Veritas hype train is leaving and we're like, quick, jump on the train. Here's what I'm telling you. Don't get on the Veritas hype train. <laughs> Who cares about the name of our church or this movement or whatever this is? Like, it doesn't matter. What matters is Jesus Christ. We only matter to the extent that we are pointing you to him. Our heart for you is not to just be excited for Veritas. Our heart for you is not just, for the love, would you just fill out your card? Come on, those kids need you, right? We'll give you a t-shirt. Don't get on the Veritas hype train. That's not our heart for you. Our heart for you is John 17, 3, when Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they may know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. All the missions, all the baptisms, all the growth, the expansions, the campus, the harvest, the college ministry. Those are not the most exciting things in Veritas. Jesus is. When I was a sophomore in college, I read this quote. Jeff Dodge was my college pastor, and he had us read this book before we were going to Morocco as part of our training. And uh, it's this book by John Piper called Let the Nations Be Glad. And the first paragraph of this book kind of changed my life. You could read this one paragraph. Like, I'm going to save you reading this whole book by reading you this one paragraph. Listen to this. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. We want a people, worshipers, passionately in love with Jesus Christ. 
Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God, and then all the other things in life will fall into place. I was um, a part of a staff meeting um, a number of years ago. I don't even know how many years ago, 15 years ago, maybe more, 20 years ago, I don't know. And uh, Troy Nesbitt, uh, he's the pastor that, that started Cornerstone Church, and he had come back from Albania, and when they were in Albania, um, all the pastors, all, he was in this room with all these uh, church planners and pastors from around the nation, and at 10, at 10.02, all of the pastors' alarms went off, and he's like, what, what is that? And they said, well, Luke 10.2, right? At the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, ask the Lord of the harvest, so we stop and pray at 10.02 for the Lord to... Uh, raise up workers to go in the harvest field. So, so they prayed, and Troy came back excited about this. We all set our alarms. It kind of became a thing in, in the, the Salt Network, uh, 1002, their shirts. I see a 1002 shirt right here. And uh, it's awesome to see God's people praying. Um, now you go all, all over, and all of a sudden an alarm goes off at 1002, and people are praying, which is awesome. The 1002 alarm is good. God raise up workers. But there's something that's even better than the 1002 alarm. It's the 1020 alarm. That's verse 20 where Jesus says, "Oh yeah, you get back. Yes. Demon submitted. God answered all your prayers. There's something better. Don't rejoice over that. Rejoice over this. Your names are written in heaven. The 1002 alarm wakes us up to our mission. The 1020 alarm wakes us up to worship." 1002 reminds us what to do. The 1020 alarm reminds us who we are. Every week, we want to help you know Jesus and grow in awe and love and passion for him. And when the service is over, so how is church? One of the best responses is like, man, Jesus is so awesome. I can't believe all that he has done for me. And I'm renewed in my desire to follow him and trust him and obey him. Some of you might be thinking, all right, um, sweet, I'm motivated, I'm all in, but how do I get in on this? Look at what he says in verse 21. He says, at that time, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. I could just see his face lighting up with joy as he tells his disciples to rejoice that their names are written in heaven. He rejo he's rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure all things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. He contrasts the wise and intelligent with infants. The know-it-alls get the stiff arm, and the ignorant newcomers get the kingdom. What is the difference between those two groups of people? Humility. 
the entrance requirement to heaven says, repent and believe. The one sin that will keep everyone out of heaven is the sin of self-righteousness that says, I don't need to repent. I don't need a Lord and King in my life. And walking away, and the infants, the humble, the poor, they just are like, yes, I'm a sinner. I need Jesus Christ to save me. And Jesus is just laughing as he's thinking about how the entrance requirements to heaven just let in the infants, the newcomers. So what do we do? Well, I want to encourage all of us to start our semester with the good news that Jesus loves me and there's really nothing I can do about it, right? Like, I, he loves me. I can't change that. I can't out him. I can't do something so bad that he will stop loving me. It's just like, Jesus loves me. And you should just laugh about that because some of us have done some terrible things, right, recently. And we're like, I don't know how this is true, but it is. Okay, Jesus, I'll take you up on this. Some of you are looking at years and years of your life that you have wasted on building your own personal empire. And there's maybe some shame associated with that. Like, wow, I've been successful at a lot of things that don't matter. And now you're looking at Jesus and he's like, oh yeah, just just get rid of all that stuff and just come to me. So here's what we do. We, here's the application. I want you to learn to sing the adult version of Jesus loves me, this I know. Did you know there's an adult version of that? Jesus loves me, this I know. Um, It's this song called Give Me Jesus. Some of you know it. In the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. How do you apply this sermon into your life this week? Just sing this song, Give Me Jesus. And my dad, he loves a song, he loves Jesus, and he loves wood. <laughs> and so he's always seeing a piece of wood, like, and he's got his saw out, and uh, he's like, yeah, that'll make a great verse. That'll make something cool. And so he started putting Bible verses on all this, this wood. And uh, he wrote one, it just says, in the morning when I rise... Give me Jesus. And uh, he made some for Veritas, just two of them. One of you in each service will get one of these, right? Um, And basically, it's just a reminder to wake up, like kind of got the sunrise coming here, and it's just first thought of the day, looking at this thing, just saying, just give me Jesus. You can have all this world, Take, take everything, but just... Leave me with Jesus. He is what I want. I'm not seeking the blessing. I'm not seeking all the good things that he will do for me. I just want Jesus. 
And so um, I, I, we're just going to end with this song. And, and we're going to and, and sing in ourselves out of here, worship. So worship team, you guys come on up. And uh, we just want you guys to um, remember this simple truth that, yes, Veritas, there are a lot of exciting things happening in our church. But we don't just want you to put on our t-shirts, be excited about Veritas. We want to be a church that is seeking Jesus Christ with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And so you get, we need to reward the people in the front row because these are the only empty seats in here. So you guys here in the front, you, you want this? Yeah, here, come on, you have to. It's going to get awkward if you don't take it. All right, there you go. Thank you. All right. So um, honestly, we're not offended if you're like, that's tacky. There's nowhere in our house that will fit. Look, m- yeah, my dad will not be offended. Just give it to somebody, re-gift it. Um, you guys, we're going we're gonna to pray, and we're just going to rejoice that our names are written in heaven this morning. So, yeah, let's, you guys, uh, you kind of start this song and just give us some, give us a, a, like, just a little bit of space here to, before we start singing, to just be in the presence of Jesus. You guys know this, right? Jesus is here this morning. One of the most fundamental things we believe is that Jesus is alive. And Jesus is here. This is your chance to just tell him, Jesus, I want you this morning. Maybe there's some sin that has been holding you back from him. Tell him, confess it. Say, Jesus, say his name. His name means God is our salvation. God, I just want to say, take it all. You can take all of our success, all the things we're excited about, but please, Just give us Jesus above all.